Welcome to the Park Road Talkback Podcast for October 23rd, 2020. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean and Amy Jackstein, co-pastors at Park Road Baptist Church. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today we will be having a conversation about Russ's recent sermon, Grow Up, and Amy's, Expect the Unexpected. So why don't we start off with Russ, you explaining a little bit about uh, the the topics that you and Amy discussed. And um, it was interesting. So you're both giving sermons and the process for how those two, how you work it out that the two relate to one another during the process. Yeah, this is this is interesting. This is really about the third time that Amy and I have tried to kind of preach together. All fall, we had said to the congregation we were going to preach together. Um, we've done this before. Uh, maybe like I would use the text and ask a question, and Amy w- would use the text and offer an answer. We would do some kind of dialogue like this. Uh, and so we're this this series is one that one of my pastor friends had recommended um, called On the Journey with Moses and Jesus. Um, And so looking at the Old Testament text and the gospel text, um, and of course, in this group of pastors that I have that I meet with, uh, they, they would have taken either the either the Old Testament or the New Testament. Amy and I are trying to meld those together, and they're part of the Revised Common Lectionary. So a lectionary committee, whenever the Revised Common Lectionary Committee put these together— chose Old Testament text and New Testament text that in some way went together. Sometimes that's not very obvious. And so so Amy, Amy and I have like had that every time. <laughs> so we've had we've had some interesting conversations this fall as we have been working with these sermons. Like now how does that go with this? And um so this was an interesting one. And I think we I, I think we made it work work together, understood what the connection was there. But um, we, for the Old Testament, we've been following the journey of the people of Israel. Uh, Moses leads them out of bondage in Egypt. They go across the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness. They're on the way to the promised land. We're following that journey. So Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and the people are down in the valley, and they're tired of waiting, and they're uh, they're impatient, and they say to Aaron— give us a God to worship. And so Aaron says, well, take off your rings and your earrings and we'll melt them down. And he, he creates a golden calf and, and they pronounce the golden calf their God. Um, and so that's the story from Exodus. And then Amy's story is, is one of the most interesting and it's a very difficult kind of troubling parable from Jesus. is the word you're looking for. Uh, <laughs> was the word Amy used a couple of times. It's a parable of, about a wedding feast and the king gives the wedding um, and nobody shows up. Um, and so he goes out and tells his servants to go out and, uh, and invite uh, everybody else to come into the wedding feast. And then he ends up casting out one after that's a very inclusive sounding thing. Well, we'll go get anybody and bring them into the wedding. And then in the end, the king sees that there's one guy there that doesn't have the right clothes on. And so he throws him out. And the last line is, and he's, he, he's out in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> so, uh. Uh, that's yeah. the end of the I mean, wedding. Terrible. <clears throat> so, a process question for you: uh, Who gets to go first, and who? I mean, who who decides the linkage between these two stories—New Testament and Old Testament—or do you collaborate and try to figure that out together? 
Well, that's an interesting question because the way Amy and I have divided our job description, our responsibilities at church, I have always been responsible for worship, meaning worship planning. Um, I have this group of pastors that I meet with, and we do worship planning and kind of put text together and ideas and topics for a whole year. And I come back from that summer uh, study session with a notebook, and I have, all right, here's what we're doing for the whole year. A lot of times, you know, when I'm presenting this to Amy, she'll say, you know, we've got a series here um, and I don't get this or this isn't what I would. This isn't what this text says to me or this isn't what I would do with this text. And um, it's very, very difficult to um, it's very difficult to have a text and a theme and a title given to you. And then you have to formulate something that lands in a prescribed place. Right. And when you're in a preaching class in seminary, you go about crafting a sermon the opposite way. And even after all these years, I still sometimes struggle with um, trying to land it where I'm supposed to land it, given the series that we're in. So or- we, I'll tell you this funny story, Bruce. We, we often kind of have these conversations because I'm planning and, and and I'm taking these notes from these pastor friends of mine. Um, and we don't always do a series or, or a lot of times, a lot of times in this summer uh, study that we do, um, an easy way to present the text to each other. We uh, Each of us takes a section of the year and we're just trying to present the text to one another um, to let them see their options for preaching. And so one easy way for us to do that is to take a look at, you know, all the Old Testament text for Advent or all the gospel text for Lent or whatever the whatever the assignment is that I have and see what kind of themes come out of those. And so a kind of easy way for us to present to one another in my summer preaching preacher camp is is to kind of create some themes. Um, and so a lot of times I'll come back and say, Amy, well, here's the theme that John chose that I think we ought to use for Lent or, you know, and Doris Ann presented this one for Advent. We're going to go with that. And so th- those ideas don't always jump out at Amy. They don't always connect with her in the same way. And so I'll say, well, this is what Doris was saying, this is what she, you know, where we ought to kind of go with this. And Amy will often complain about that. (laughs) And invariably, invariably, when she has complained to me about this theme, this idea, this topic, she will just, it's a home run of a sermon. And often she'll sit down and this is during Sunday worship. She'll sit down and I'll just say, if you would preach what I tell you, we would just be fine. <laughs> so there's a little, there's a little um, clergy couple um, insider right. information for you. So Amy, this, 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 that particular Sunday we're discussing, uh, it really feels to me like you, you drew the short straw in terms of topics. <laughs> you are right. So you, you, you deal with this uh, wedding parable and this terrible story about um, just everything that's gone wrong. And it's, there's a lot of negativity there. Yeah. And then you have to help us see the message in it and the positive side yeah. of that. Tell me, tell us a little bit about how you figure out the messaging you're going to do when you're given what's frankly a, a pretty tough topic, tough story. First, you do a ton of reading and you read what everybody else says about it and you try to find a glimmer of hope that somebody has in there. Um, and I'll, I will have to confess right now, 
I remember it was two weeks ago, and I can hardly remember what we did this past Sunday. I just, once it's out there in the world, I kind of forget it. And um, I remember at the end of the, of the, so of the Sunday, like I said, it was just two weeks ago. I remember thinking, oh, that really worked. That all came together. And now even in, I pulled the manuscript back up and Russ has pulled his manuscript back up. And I'm like, I don't know how that, I don't, did they go together? Or did we just say two different things? I can't make it. Let me help you. Okay. You remember? <laughs> yeah, I okay, remember. <laughs> um, so the Old Testament text, uh, Bruce, is about the people demanding a God. Um, and uh, so that's an interesting thing. They want this idol to worship. And um, in part, I said, I think it's easy for us to distance this from us. Well, we don't have idols. We don't worship idols. That's something mm-hmm. different. But right. what I went on to say was, I think we we do have a tendency to demand God in our image, to, man, to demand God to be who we want God to be. And the, the greatest idol is not some golden statue, but some idea that we form about God in our head. I was raised a Southern Baptist preacher's kid in Clinton, South Carolina, and I knew exactly who God was. And God was the white man with the beard and the long white robe. And I knew exactly who God was and exactly what God did because you know, that's, that's what I was taught. Now that's an image of God. That's not God. That's an image of God. And that image of God can become an idol. And even as we grow up and mature, we get these, we create these images of God. Um, and, and, and so th- this idea of idols and idolism, I, I, I think idolatry is not um, as far-fetched and, and as far removed as we think when we hear the story about creating a golden calf. I said at the end of my sermon, um, God, the real God, is beyond any of our namings of God, beyond our naming, beyond our conceiving, beyond our control. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke of the God beyond God, the real God who's beyond our ideas of God. And I said, um, let me read this. He knew that the true God is beyond even our very best ideas of God. God can never be manipulated and God will never conform to our flimsy theologies. And I've tried to give several examples. The prosperity gospel offers a God of health, wealth, and prosperity. Now, there's an image of God. If you do the right things, God will bless you. That's an image of God, an idol of God that we've created. The militarized gospel offers a God of peace through strength. We hear an awful lot about that and that kind of God these days. The nationalized gospel offers a God of manifest destiny. The self-help gospel offers a God of bootstrapping self-sufficiency. The economic gospel offers a God of rising tides and the justifications of inequality. So I was trying to help people understand we have these ideas about who God is and how God works and what God does, those idols of God. And the and story that Jesus to my tells. Story. I'm remembering now. I remember how it came together. Mm-hmm. Then my story is this wedding banquet. I, I comment, you know, we all know how weddings go these days. There are certain expectations of how it all flows. Well, this no different than first century. They knew how a wedding went too and who would be invited and how it would all, how the food would go and who would sit where and what people would wear. And so it's a, it's a story that, is told to say you to the religious elites, 
you think you have it all figured out. Let me tell you a story of how to expect the unexpected. Um, and so Jesus throws this, what I call a horrible story on them. Um, and one of the commentators, I said you read, do a lot of reading, one of the commentators that I had read um, said about this story, um, uh, maybe the text isn't interested in our questions that attempt to understand and avoid the fate of the guests, which ended up weeping and gnashing of teeth. Rather, the text simply states a truth. A seat at the matrimonial banquet in the kingdom of heaven will require something more than merely accepting an invitation to discipleship. It's not enough to RSVP and then just show up. I think Jesus was trying to say to these religious leaders, you think you have it all figured out. You know nothing. Let me let me throw you a real curveball here and tell you this story that who you think is in is not in and who you think is out is not out and how you think God is at work is is off. Um, so right. I do now remember how they went together. <laughs> and you at, some, at one point say, uh, or you ask the question, have we created a gospel story that is more palatable than the radical story of Jesus? Right. And you go on to say, it is his way, not our way. So that was kind of my takeaway from it that, you know, we, just as you said, we think we understand what, yeah, and I think what, bo- both of these texts are about the need to kind of domesticate God, to tame mm-hmm. God, to create the God that that we like and that supports us and who we are. And Jesus, I mean, this is a theme in in every story Jesus tells. He he rattles people's cages because it's like that's not who God is. That's not what I thought God was like. That's not what I thought the kingdom of God was like. And he's always getting in trouble with the religious establishment because he keeps throwing out these radical ideas and inviting in people that are not on the inside, you know. And and, and so um, he, he keeps shaking up our notion of who God is. Um, and that's I think that's every bit as true today for us as it was, you know, for these ancient Israelites who demanded, you know, that Aaron create them a a, a golden calf. You know, we're still right. trying to create gods that we can and and the manage. whole the whole wedding banquet imagery. You know, you get an invitation, you just show up and you enjoy the party. And I think Jesus was trying to say, that is not what the kingdom is going to be like. It's not just show up and enjoy the party. This is this is going to be work, and it's putting yourself last, and it's putting the least of these first. I mean, it's all the tick off all the things that Jesus said. And I think I, think I referenced in this sermon something about, especially as pastors and ministers, you can get sidetracked by just, we just want people to come, let's make, Let's make this easy enough for people to want to join the church. Let's make it easy enough. Well, the gospel this of idea, Jesus is just not easy. And, and this so, idea of this man who didn't have the right garment on and Jesus, you know, and the king cast him out into the outer darkness. That's hard. But, you know, the it's what Amy's talking about here. Do we just make do we just make church and do we just make Christian faith just easy? Just come on in and everybody be here and it'll just feel good. You know, or, you know, are there some expectations? And this man in this story didn't meet the expectations. And, you know, it was harsh punishment. That sounds 
sounds harsh, um, but you know, in a way, I remember years ago we had friends who went to a different church in town, and it was a contemporary worshiping church, and nothing wrong with that. But I remember them saying, "Oh, I just we just leave every Sunday just feeling so good." And Amy and I said to each other when we left, "It's like I'm just not sure that's what it's about, you know, <laughs> just feeling good every time, you know." There there is a challenge to this thing. And, you know, maybe if we just leave feeling good every time, it's because we've created God and we've created this faith around what we want it to be. And and we haven't allowed the challenge that moves us into the uncomfortable areas and, you know, challenges us to do what we otherwise wouldn't do. Yeah. So let me ask you a question that Amy asked during uh, her sermon, which was she was talking about that discipleship comes with accountability. Mm-hmm. There's some responsibility there. It's not just, as you say, showing up. And the question was, have we created a passive faith? So is that what we have in 21st century United States in terms of Christianity? Have we developed this passive faith? Or, or do you think there's more there than uh, than some people realize? I think it depends on which which community you're talking to. I think, you know, and I think sometimes we do it too. Um, do we, like I said earlier, do how, what can we do that just make this the easiest for people? You know, it, it's, it's so easy to want a feel good message because there's just, we're the only ones offering any good news, except the good news comes with a great cost of of ourselves and that's hard to sell and Bruce yeah I, I think I think a church like ours struggles with this some and I think between Amy and me I think I struggle this with this maybe more than she does because I love these hard stories I love these stories like this man you love the speech. Old Testament don't you well yeah. I love the Old Testament but but I, but I love the hard parables of Jesus and that that story that we we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the laborers in the vineyard and the guys that showed up at the beginning, um, it worked all day long. And the guy that showed up with an hour to go, he got paid the same thing as the first guys. What is Jesus talking about? I love those kinds of stories because they challenge us. Um, and I would kind of stay on those all the time. And I think those stories make people think and they make people work and they're hard Um and, and I think that can be a challenge for people. Um, and yet, I, I don't want faith to be passive. I don't want us to just come in and sing the songs and feel good and walk out and, you know, go back to our regular old life. Um, and I'm not saying that Amy doesn't offer uh, offer challenge, but I, I do know that I am, I am drawn to those difficult kind of stories. And But, um, but the truth is, the gospel of Jesus is, it becomes if you really preach what he said, it's an ensmallment campaign. I mean, it's it's if you want to grow a big church, you're going to need to not spend too much time around mm-hmm. the message of Jesus in in that radical kind of way. Of I think I, um, toward the end of the sermon, I said um, the way of Jesus cannot be of our own making. That was the reference back to the golden calf, by the way, it's right. his way. We're called to live his radical life of acceptance and inclusion and grace and love and mercy and action with the least of these as a primary focus of all that we do and say. And that's a way that very few will actually want to follow. So it's fitting to ask, do you want to do this? Do you want to follow in the way of Jesus? If so, buckle up. Right. Well, 
that's not a way to win <laughs> friends and influence people. Right. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about Charlie Milford, who was the founding pastor of our church. Bruce, you didn't have a chance to know him. Um, he was he was in our congregation for about the first five years that we were the pastor. Charlie was um, very feisty and fiery, and he had started as a Southern Baptist evangelist, basically, and then had this really interesting journey and became a very liberal thinker about Christian faith. And he always said to us, Russ and Amy, he, he, he would talk to us in those first five years. And, and he said, the church is called to die. And I remember thinking, Charlie, the church isn't called to die on my watch. You know, right. I, I'm not coming. I didn't come here to kill this church. And he was talking about exactly what Amy was just talking about. If the church is going to be true to the real challenge of Jesus about money and about welcome and inclusion and the kingdom of God. This is a hard message. Um, and if you really sell that, um, that, that's what Charlie was talking about. The church called to die to self and, and, and die to the values of the world. Well, I go um, back and say, after I say you better buckle up, I say it's a way that is not full of glamour and easy living and good food and first dances like a wedding banquet. Everybody wants to show up for that. But it's the hard work of marriage that you're showing up for, um, to go back to the parable analogy. Um, and the, the, the parable ends with many are called, a few are chosen. So I go back to that at the end and say, it's a way where many are called, but few will truly answer the call. And could we be among the ones that do? But, you know, it's a great thing to say from the pulpit. Now, how do we live it out? Right in the world every day, especially when we can't and, even be together. <laughs> and I, I, again, for our kind of church, you know, we talk about social gospel. We don't talk much about evangelism, getting saved, and it, it, it's more about changing society. It's more about activism, and yet um, we we're challenged by that. You know, what does that really mean, and how does that play out in the world? And so, um, I, I, th I think that's a challenge for some liberal churches. Our, our church is um, very interested in social gospel, we say, and yet we're not really an activist congregation. And so th these kinds of sermons, these kinds of ideas, I think do challenge us. Are we, even in our in, in our way, are we too passive? Um, or do we like to talk about it, but do we put feet to it and action to it? Right. Well, Russ, you, you certainly ask a, a difficult question uh, during your sermon, which was, uh, basically, you implied that it's impossible for us to know God. Is that correct? Completely know God? Yeah. Um, and if if so, so here's the question that immediately leapt to my mind. If, if I can't know God, can I have a relationship with God? And if so, how does how does that work exactly when there's there is some level of uh, disconnect or disassociation between myself and the divine? Yeah, and I think that that's a that's a really great question, Bruce, and kind of the the question of spirituality. How do we do that? And um, you know, some quarters of the church talk a lot more than we do about you know a personal relationship with God or a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think I do think there is a danger of kind of domesticating God. The old story one uh, pastor said 
to the children in a children's time, what is God's name? And one child raised his hand and said, Andy. And, and the pastor said, Andy. And he said, yeah, we sing the hymn. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me I am his own. You, you, you know, and that, that idea that we can make of God just our buddy. Um, and so I, I think we, we can can overly domesticate God. And yet, if you think about God as a grand mystery, well, how do you have a relationship with that? Um, and so I, I, I think that is a, a really good question, the heart of the matter. And uh, Amy and I have talked some this week even about uh, the importance of meditation. Our, our son, uh, our older son, Jackson, is in medical school. And one thing that they're talking to, to their med school students a good bit about is their own personal health and their own mental and spiritual health. I don't think they use the term spiritual, mindfulness. But, but, but they talk about mindfulness. And Jackson, we've, we've really heard in him as he's studying science, as he's studying medical school, um, a, a kind of way that he really feels spiritually connected and that this is an important part of health and healing. Um, And so I think that aspect of becoming in touch with that aspect of our life. um, And and, uh, Amy's been taking long walks. You know, we're working from home these days. She's been taking long walks in these beautiful fall afternoons and just really enjoying the quiet and the, and the, the slow pace of walking the neighborhood, um, listening to um, uh, some poetry, listening to some music, um, those kinds of aspects. Um, And I think that's very different, Bruce, from the idea that that I had of a child about having a personal relationship with God. And yet I think we can be attentive to that aspect of our life, which I think is is very real, um, that the mindfulness uh, um, the, the, and, and I don't hesitate to say, you know, our spirituality. Um, and yet I do think that's different, like I say, from the kind of way that I thought about, um, you know, talking to God when I was a child, like God's just my buddy sitting out there. Um, so does that, does that help? Does that make sense? So, yes. It sounds to me like you're talking about some sort of, uh, I don't know if subconscious, but it's a connection that's not the same sort of connection that I would have with a spouse or with a child or a very good friend. It's a, it's a, it's a different type of relationship. Yeah, it's a deeper level and a different kind of level of communicating, a different kind right. of aspect of our own of our own self. Um, and, and, and I do think that as a child and as a, as a very active youth in the church, um, I thought about having a relationship with God or a relationship with Jesus, kind of like having a relationship with a friend. And I was supposed to pray every day and talk. And, you know, there was a literal kind of connection there. Um, I think differently of that now. And yet I think there's a very, very deep sense of connectedness with the divine that, that we can be in touch with, um, and, and that is important. Uh, and, and yet that will defy, back to my sermon, that will defy any kind of ideas and notions of knowing exactly who God is. Um, I'm going to pray to God to do this because this is how God works. Well, um, I don't know how God works, um, but, but I'm going to try to find my ways and times to commune with the divine. So, Amy, when you uh, and your your sermon was entitled uh, "Expect the Unexpected," so in, in talking about this relationship with God, uh, do you think that we will be surprised 
or should be surprised, or when you say unexpected, it's just different than what we might imagine in terms of who God is or how God uh, works in the world? Um, well, going back to the, the parable, and I, I think we do this all the time uh, in modern day culture. <clears throat> we have very, people have very clear expectations of how churches work and how, uh, how the story goes and how God is at work in the world. And I, I just think if you go in with this set idea, this image that you have already created, and then something doesn't measure up to that, whether it's in the church or in any other place, we have this idea of how things are to go. And when it doesn't meet those expectations, we're disappointed instead of evaluating we're well, Maybe were my expectations off? Were my um, my ideas skewed? And am I open to seeing something in a different way? Am I open to seeing God in a different way? Am I op- am I open to thinking about faith and life and community and calling? And um, am I open to seeing that in a new way? And I think when we open ourselves up to that we might be really surprised how God is really at work in the world and how, how we are connected to that and our responsibility to that um, work that God is doing in the world. And, but if we go in having all the answers, there's nothing to be surprised about. But when you go in looking for the question, go in leading with the questions and let one question lead you to another question, it's just been shocking to me in my own journey how much bigger God has gotten and how much I've been able to let go of some expectations. Bruce, I was, as, as Amy was talking, I was thinking, I wrote my, my last piece, my monthly piece for the Baptist News Global was about prayer. Um right. And uh, we, we've got some stuff going on personally, and, and we, we've requested prayer, and people have been spent sending really nice notes. And some people will say, I'm praying for you. And other people have sent these really wonderful um, uh, phrases. Amy can help me with some of them. You know, um, you've got this, and we've got you, and I'm sending positive energy, and I'm sending love, I'm sending hope. But they won't say I'm praying. And um, I I think there is this notion that some people have like, well, I don't believe in prayer like that, like it's magic, like I'm going to pray for Amy and then she's just all of a sudden instantly going to get better. You know, there's just going to be some magic about that. Um, And yet what I was trying to write about is that there is a difference in thinking about someone and praying for someone and sending positive energy or sending you my love or sending you my hope, I think is prayer. I can't challenge you. I want people to, uh, they don't have to, I, I love the beautiful language that they use. That's better. That's deeper. That's richer than just saying I'm praying for you. But I want those people to, to know that that is prayer and that is God is in this, and that's how we communicate, how we connect, how we commune with that. And when I'm thinking deeply about someone because my heart goes out to you because of what you're going through, that's not the same thing as I'm just thinking, you know, 
your face just passed through my mind. We we had That's an interesting prayer. back and forth as he was writing this because I kept challenging him that um, I have really appreciated hearing people word it in different ways that fit who they are. And if they just simply said, I'm praying for you, it would not hold as much. And I think what Russ is wanting them to recognize, I think because of their aversion to the word prayer, they're saying it in another way. And what he's trying to set up in that writing he did was to say, that is prayer. Well, thank you, Russ. Thank you, Amy. Always good to spend time with you. Thanks. We always enjoy talking with you, Bruce. It's helpful for us, too, to kind of think through we these things. We should do this before we preach. The sermons <laughs> would be better. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's an idea. That's it for this week from all of us at Park Road Baptist Church. Thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you.